Hey, my name is Ryan McVitie, and I am the pastor of the River Worship. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast. If you haven't heard about the river yet, it's an amazing move of God happening in the greater Toronto area. Yes, Toronto, Canada. It's a cold place, but we have warm hearts, and we love coming together every Tuesday night and worshiping the Lord with all we've got. We also get to dive into the Word, and that's where we're going to go right now. We're going to dive into the Word of God, and I trust and pray that it will impact you in a powerful way. If you're ever in the Toronto area, come visit us. We would love for you to worship with us together. But enjoy the message, and God bless you. In the Word of God tonight. I said, is there anyone excited about the Word of God tonight? That's what I thought. So we're going to jump right in. We're not messing around. I want to respect your time because, frankly, I, I want to worship with Pat again. So I'm sure you do, too. And we got some great worship coming for you. But there is a word that God has been brewing up in my heart. I had the week off last week. I wasn't preaching. We had a great word last week from Pastor McCare. Give it up for him. He brought the word last week. Yeah. Um, but the, God's really been stirring this story up. And you may have heard of it before. We're going to jump right into it. It takes place in Luke chapter 15, has anyone ever heard of the prodigal son? Yeah. yeah. Well, that's one of three parables that happens in this chapter that we're going to read in just a moment. Luke chapter 15. See, first there's the parable of the lost sheep. And it's an incredible story. I don't have time to break it all down for you, but essentially Christ is teaching that he will leave the 99 and chase the one. He will come after you and he will come after me even when there's a hundred. So he goes from a hundred for one, for you. And then there's the parable of the lost coin. And there's 10 coins and a woman is searching for the coins and one is lost and then one gets found and all of heaven rejoices. And Christ is teaching you that even when you get lost, when you get found, he rejoices and he celebrates that you come back to him. And then that's 10 to one. And then we get to one to one. We get to a one to one ratio with this story of the prodigal son, or you may have heard it as the lost son. And it's a, it's a story that tells us the lengths that God will go in his love and pursuit for you and for me. And when I started my study on it, I got to tell you, I had a little problem with something that was in my Bible. And before you start yelling blasphemy at your pastor, it was just the heading. Because if you know, if you've studied scripture, you'll know that the headings, the, the, the titles that come up are not necessarily from the canon, if we're going back to seminary, that the, the translation has added those. So in your Bible, if you have it, you can open it up. We'll be in Luke 15, reading in just a moment. The header on verse 11, where we're going to start, says the prodigal son. And it makes it sound like it's just a story of one son. But what I want to tell you tonight is that it's actually the story of two sons. And you may have heard that before, but I want to show you that we can learn so much from not just the prodigal son, but from the promised son. And you'll learn what that means in a minute, the promised son. See, there's the younger son who becomes the prodigal, and there's the older son who becomes the promised son. And why am I giving you all this context before we get in the word? Because when we read the scriptures, I want you to put it in this context. That most of us in this room, including your pastor, me, are one of those two sons most of the time. We're either running from God, and it can feel good for a season, but eventually it's going to come crumbling down. 
or we're staying. We're staying in the house. You are literally in his house right now. So I'd say you're probably the latter. You're the staying son. You're, you're not the one, the prodigal who runs and goes and wastes. You're the staying son. And almost always we are one of those two. We're the prodigal running, figuring, man, why is this not working out? Or sometimes, this is what I want to get at tonight, we're the staying son or daughter. We're the promised son or daughter. And we're doing it right, but it seems like it's still not happening. It seems like the blessing, the inheritance is, is not there, like we don't realize it. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. So to do that, we're going to do it the only way we can. We're going to jump right into the word. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Jesus continued. So this is Jesus speaking. This is a parable that he makes up, okay, for you and for me 2,000 years later to learn from. He says that there was a man who had two sons. Two sons. So it's not just a story of one. Number one, the prodigal. And number two, we're going to learn about it in a minute. The younger one, verse 12, said to his father, get ready for this, Father, give me my share. Would you choose your neighbor? You know my games and I never stop. The one whom you love, pick right now, real quick, come on. Who's the one you love tonight? The neighbor, the one whom you love. You got him? I'm looking. I'm looking. And would you say to them, just like the prodigal, would you say this, give me my share. Oh, yeah, the married people said that real loud. Give me my share. Give me my share. This is the anthem of the prodigal, of the younger son. Father, give me my share of the estate. And the father, what does he do? He does. He divides the estate between them. He divides the estate between them, and he gives them both the estate. Give me my share, though. If we're being honest, isn't that often how we treat God? Give me my share. You know, give it to me when I want it, how I want it, when I want it. You know, we like to just bash this prodigal guy and really put him down low, but I don't know if I'm so different. A lot of my prayers look like that. God, give me this. I need it by Friday. I mean, I'm specific with my prayers. We often will do that. But let's keep reading. Verse 13. Not long after that, the younger son, after getting all his money, after getting his inheritance, got together all that he had and set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. I don't know what wild living was like 2,000 years ago, but my imagination can only imagine. The Bible says he engaged in wild living. And it might have felt good for a season, might have brought him what he thought was happiness for a season. But verse 14 tells us more of the story. It says, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country. And now he began to be in need. So what does he do? Verse 15. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country. Now hold on for a minute. He leaves his father because he doesn't want to serve his father anymore and says, just give me my share. And now where's he at? He's in a foreign land in another country, hiring himself out. Now he's not serving his father, he's serving a stranger. And it gets worse. What does that stranger do? He sends him to the fields to feed his pigs. Now this was a Hebrew parable. 
What is the most unclean animal in all of Hebrew culture? It's pigs. This is the lowest of the low. I mean, bro, it doesn't get worse. Anyone here ever been on a farm? Yeah, you've been around pigs? They are nasty, disgusting creatures. Like, they're cute for a little while, and then they just smell. They're nasty. This is the worst job. He is now at the lowest of the low, and in fact, it gets worse. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating from. Everyone go, ew. That's nasty. That's where he's at. But no one gave him anything. They wouldn't even let him do that. He couldn't even eat from the pig's troughs. This, my friends, is what we call in life rock bottom. He has hit rock bottom. Sometimes God will allow you to get to rock bottom so that what it said in verse 17 will happen. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, wait a second, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I know what I'll do. Verse 18, I'll set out. And I'll go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And he says, he's going to say this to his father. He's going to say, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me, would you look to your second overall draft pick? Not the one whom you love, apparently. The one who you've been ignoring tonight. Come on, go to him right now. I'm out here. I can see every person. You got him, the one you were ignoring? You might have to go across the aisle, girl. I don't know. Just look right at him. Before you said, give me, now say, make me. You want it? Make me. That was terrible. Can you say it a little better? Make me. See, the prodigal is on a journey, and he starts with give me to his father, but now he ends with make me. Make me, not, not make me do something. No, 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 no. Make me your servant. At the beginning is give me my share. He goes out in the world and he ends with make me your ser- servant. Because, Father, you know what's best. So what happens? He gets up, verse 20. We're almost at the end of the story. He gets up, verse 20, and went to his father. But he was still a long way off. I'll stop making you speak in a minute. Say a long way off. I don't know about you, there's been seasons in my life where I've been a long way off. He was still a long way off, but his father saw him. His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. Guys, this is incredible because he has not yet said sorry, he has not yet repented. He has not said all those things yet that he's planning to say to his father, but his father sees him not where he needs to be, just a long way off, and he goes and he embraces him, and he runs toward him. And then the son, verse 21, says this, Father, I've sinned against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. This shows his true repentant heart, but there's something really sad here. The prodigal thinks that his title as son, is conditioned upon his performance. And let's be honest, his performance couldn't be any worse. He squandered all the wealth. He's serving pigs. He can't even eat. His performance couldn't get worse. And he thinks that he can't have the title of son anymore. But what does the father do? 
What does the father do? Verse 22, he says, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and put sandals on his feet. Guys, this is meaningful. You ever heard of a guy named Joseph in the Bible? He got the best robe from his dad, and he was almost killed for it. He was sold into slavery for it. The robe you wore was important. The ring that you carried signified your position in the family. He restores him right away. And he even puts sandals on his feet. And then he says, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and let's celebrate. For this son of mine, still his son, even though he wished he was dead, took his inheritance early, lost it all, destroyed the name of the house, he still says this, for this son of mine was dead and is alive. He was lost and he is now found. So they began to celebrate. What a kind of love that is. Is there anyone who has run from God and experienced that kind of love in their life? I don't know about you, but I have. The kind of love that a father has for a prodigal like that is incredible. And this isn't just a parable about some fictitious character. This is about God, your father. What a love that all we have to do when we're running is turn back to see our wicked ways, to repent, to turn back. And even though we're still a long way off, he will come running to us, that he will see you right where you're at. That's the story of the first son. But that's not really what I came to preach on tonight. It's important. It's a good story. But there's a second son, and he is the promised son. Why do I call him that? Because he is the son that stayed and is living in the promise of his inheritance. He didn't take it and leave. He stayed and kept his inheritance. He's staying in the promise. So let's learn about him. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and he heard dancing. What is up with that? There's never music. There's never dancing. What is going on? So he called one of the servants and he asked him, what the heck is going on? I don't think he said heck because that would be blasphemy. He said, what's going on? Verse 27, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's back, and guess what? He's safe and he's sound. The servant is excited. This is great. Your brother is back. But what happens in verse 27? The older brother got angry. He got bitter. In fact, he got so angry that he refused to go in. Is anger and bitterness keeping you out of your father's house? Because it certainly can. That's what happens to him. He's so angry that he refuses to even go in to his father's house, which, by the way, has been given to him already. You ever been there? Where, like, you're going to church, and you're dating the right way, and you're not doing those things, but, but she is, and he is, and, and you see him get blessed? And you see her get the job, they get the record deal, they get the kid that you've been praying for for years and you don't have yet. This is the place that the promised son finds himself in. And he gets angry and he gets bitter. That's where he's at. But what happens next? His father, out of his love for him also, went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father and said, look, he's angry. He says, look, all these years I have been slaving for you, and I've never disobeyed your orders. 
Do you think that's really true? You think he never did his whole life? I never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, whom, by the way, is his only brother, not my brother, no, no, this son of yours, I won't even recognize who he is to me anymore, this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home and you kill the fattened calf for him. How can this be, Father? How can this be? First of all, isn't it incredible that we have a father that we can bring our concerns to, that we can speak from our heart to even when our heart is not aligned with his? That's incredible that God lets us do that. The father lets us do that. And then I think this is one of the most beautiful verses in all of the Holy Scriptures. Verse 31. He says in response to that, he says, My son, the father says to him, My son, you are always with me, and everything that I have is yours. Why are you worried about the one goat? Everything that I have is yours, and I am always with you. You are always with me. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again, and he was lost, and now he is found. Now he is found. You are always with me. And everything I have is yours. That is the word of the Lord for you tonight. That you are always with him. And that everything he has is yours. Is there anyone that's excited about that? This was a parable for you. Jesus wrote this for you today. This is not a story of real people. No, no, it's a parable to teach you this fact. That's something to get excited about. That's the two best things in life, to have the presence of your heavenly Father and then to have access to all that he has. Everything he has is already yours. Not yours if you're good next week. No, 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 it's already yours. But what I want to dive in on in the next few minutes before we go back to worship is this. Both sons got it wrong. Not just the prodigal. The promised son got it wrong, too. And I think I can learn a lot more from the promised son. I think you can, too. They both got it wrong. They both had the wrong perception. They both did not see their father and his house right. They both didn't see it. Look to your neighbor one last time and say, see it. Come on, say it better than that. See it. They didn't see it. Now, in response, say, uh, say, you look good. I see you. You look good. What is your skincare regimen, sis? Clear. Those pores are looking nice. What's that hair care product, bro? Yeah, my hair care product is great. I love it. They didn't see it. They didn't see what they had. They didn't see it right. And the results were this, that one... One took his inheritance before he was ready for it and got wild, as the Bible says, wild. And what happened? It crushed him. He said, give me it. And the father did. And sometimes the father will. And then guess what? It crushed him. That's what the prodigal did. But the second one, the second one resented the fact that he had not yet seen it yet. See, living in the promise sounds really nice and really sexy. Yeah, you know, I'm just living in the promises of God. It's hard to live in the promise. We don't want to live in the promise. We want to live in the blessing. 
But the promised son, the second son, the older son, he has to live in the promise. So the title of this message, which I've held back for you, is this. It's what do you see? While you are living in the promise, what do you see? What is it that you see? And my hypothesis that I want to give to you today is that just because you don't see something doesn't mean it isn't there. Just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's not there. Guys, today is the two-year birthday of the river. Tomorrow is a special day for me because I'm celebrating, we are celebrating, my beautiful wife Lindsay and I, our ninth year anniversary. Yeah. Give it up for that beautiful lady right there. If y'all knew me, not the stage me, if you really knew me, you would give her a better applause than that. Because sticking with this guy for nine years, whoo. I mean, I, I don't have any money and I'm not good looking, so you know she's the real deal. She's the real deal. We're celebrating nine years, and, and she spoils me all the time. She's the best, truthfully, and she's a really good gift giver. She is. Like, her gifts are on another level. Last year, she gave me something I had been wanting for a long time. She gave me the AirPod Maxes. You know what those are? These are like the $700 AirPods, okay? These are not the cheap ones. This is a nice gift. She got me this for my anniversary, and I loved them. I used them every day. I used them in the gym the two times I went last year. I used them both times, and they were great. You know, they distracted me enough to stay off the treadmill. They were great. But in all honesty, I use them a lot. I use them while I'm studying, while I'm studying to preach and preparing a sermon, and I love these things. And then something happened to me. I went to a gym, and I was using them there. And then I went home and got on with my day and got on with work and everything else. And then at night, I realized, hold up, I can't find my AirPods. My AirPod Maxes are gone. So you know you do what you do, right? You're like, okay, where was the last place that I saw them? That's what you do when you lose something, right? And I go, okay, well, I remember it was at the gym. Oh, but wait a second. I had my bag open, and I left it on that bench in that open space. So I know exactly what happened. Somebody stole them. And then I start going through my head of who the person is. It must have been that guy. He looks sketchy. It must have been her. No one would suspect her. It's always the little one. She probably did it. She ran by and grabbed it. It must have been her. And I'm working through all these scenarios in my head of who stole my AirPod Max. It's very pastoral of me, very Christian. And I'm getting all accusatory. And I'm going to that gym and I'm giving people dirty looks. And I'm looking in their bag a little bit to see if there's any AirPod Maxes. And I'm looking everywhere. And all this time I'm hiding this from my wife because this was the gift that she bought me. And I wouldn't tell her that I lost it. So I don't tell her. And then finally I do. Because I'm like, you know, when you're a husband and you don't know what to do next, you just go to your wife. Okay, it's, it's good advice. They're smarter than us females. I've learned that a long time ago. You just do that. Okay. So I did that. I went to her. And I said, babe, this is the situation. Someone stole my AirPods. And she says, are you sure someone stole them? I said, woman, someone stole my AirPods. And I'm mad about it. Marital advice. Never call your wife woman. Never really works well. Ever. Even your girlfriend, just, just stay away from that. And she goes, well, have you, have you looked for it? Have I looked for it? Of course I looked for it. I looked for it in my gym bag, and it's not there. She said, well, have you looked elsewhere? No, I told you, woman, it got stolen. And she says, can I look for it? Sure, but you're not going to find it because this guy stole it. Next day, phone call. Hey, babe, guess what? I was in your closet today, 
And guess what I found? Your AirPod Maxes. They were right there all along. But I didn't see it. You know why I didn't see it? Because I didn't seek for it. Instead, I've had a preconceived notion in my mind which made sure that I shared no part of the blame. Because if somebody stole it, now I can blame it on them. But me lose something? Perfect me? No, no, no. That could never be the case. I didn't see it, but that doesn't mean that it wasn't there. Here's the principle in this goofy story I'm sharing with you. What you see will always be determined by what you seek. Always. So if I seek a narrative that someone stole it from me, I will never even see it in the back of my closet. What you see in your situation will always be determined by what you seek. And that's how us humans do. We draw verdicts, and then we collect information to support our verdicts. It's the opposite of a court of law. In a court of law, it's the opposite. You collect the evidence, you test the evidence, and then you come up with a verdict. No, no, no. We make a decision. This is the way it's going to be. It's always going to be that way. And then we view everything that happens to us in that light. In philosophy, they call it confirmation bias. We want to confirm our biases all the time. It's what we as humanity do. And there's nothing more true than this statement in life that what you seek, you will find. Seek a narrative that your father doesn't love you and doesn't give you anything and would never give you a go. And that's the reality that you'll find. You'll completely miss the fact that you don't need the little skinny goat because you've had a thousand goats given to you. What you seek is what you will find. I got real convicted about this principle in my life back a few years ago because I would seek God 1.5 hours out of the week, Sunday morning. Okay, I went to Pentecostal church. Let's be honest. It was like 3.5 hours, okay, on a Sunday. But that's it, 3.5 hours out of the week. And then I would get real frustrated with God, the other 166.5, when I couldn't see him. And you know what I felt him say to me? When he said, you'll see me when you seek me. You see me for those 3.5, and then you're mad at me while you're seeking other things for the rest of your week. And man, I got convicted about that. And it's the same way I said, God, how come I don't hear you speak? I hear of all these preachers and all these pastors hearing the voice of the Lord and what it says and everything else and what God says. How come I don't hear you? And you know what he said to me? He said, I spoke 738,000 times, in fact. Over 66 books in something called the Bible but you don't like what it says, so you want me to say something new and something different, Ryan. Whoo! Go preach, God. <laughs> Have some mercy on me. See, what we seek is what we will find. And in our passage in this parable, which was made for us, this is a story made, tailored for us, the question becomes this. Here's the question that those two sons had. This is everything. If you hear nothing else, hear this. The question becomes this. Do we seek first our kingdom? What we want, gimme, 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 do we seek first our kingdom or the Father's kingdom? Because the answer to that question will determine everything in your life. There's this passage you likely know in Matthew chapter 6 verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God, that's your Father, and what? His righteousness and all these things will be added on to you. But only if we seek first the kingdom of our Father. 
neither of those boys, neither of those sons were seeking the father's kingdom. Not the one who left and got wild and also not the one who stayed. He was resenting the fact that it was still his father's kingdom and not his kingdom, even though he had been given everything that was in that kingdom. What you seek is what you will find. See, both of them were operating under this thing that we do today called self-help. Anyone ever heard of self-help? Anyone ever read a self-help book? I have. You're not going to get judged. Self-help books. We live in a self-help society today. If you go to Chapters, Indigo, Barnes & Noble, wherever you get your books, you're going to find 99 books on self-help. Let me just give you a little newsflash. If just one of them worked, there wouldn't be 98 others. But we live in this self-help culture of that we have to save ourselves, we have to help ourselves. What I want to tell you tonight that just like the prodigal, if you want to be saved, if you want to find peace, if you want to find provision, the only way to do it is to go back to the one who made you. We got to go back to the one who made us. It's not self-help, it's God help. Literally, God help me. It's God help that we need. It's our two-year anniversary, so I got to give some shout-outs. There's a guy over here. He's, uh, he's not texting on his phone. He's listening to the sermon. He's our music director, Jonathan. Would you give, a, give it up for him? This man has music directed over 800 songs for you in two years. And as a result of being married to the river, he's still single. Wink, wink. Just letting you know that. Just throwing that out there. Whatever happens, happens. Um, I got to tell you a quick story about him. I met him just over two years ago. And Jonathan, I don't know if you know too much about him. He's hating every second of this, I guarantee it, which makes me love it. Um, he has two postgraduate degrees in classical music from the Tchaikovsky Conservatory. Wow. This is like the top music school in the world. This guy is literally a musical genius. He's incredible. I hope you're thankful for him because I'm thankful for him. And I approached him. Yeah, give it up for him. I don't know what the heck he's doing at the river, but I'm thankful for it. I went to him, I said, hey, dude, what do you think about a really crazy, modern, loud worship night to a classical pianist? Sure, I'm in, let's do it. And he's been all in ever since then. He's amazing. But, um, yeah. But there was one weird thing about him, if we're being honest. We had our first meetings, then we had our first practices, and, and he was doing great, and, you know, he was really learning all this and, and just taking to it, like, so quick and so well, and then leading others and teaching others. But he did this weird thing. He carried his backpack with him everywhere he went. I mean, like, you go to the bathroom, Jonathan's got his backpack. You go to lunch with him, he's got his backpack. You go, he backpack, he was like Dora the Explorer. The backpack was with, with this dude everywhere he went. And if you've come to the river a lot, you know I tell you that I'm a professional worst-case scenario creator in my head. Like, I can tell you 10 ways your day tomorrow is going to be awful. But I'm not going to do that because I'm a pastor. You know, that's just what I do. So I was like, it's kind of weird that he always has his backpack. Always. Do you have it right now? Show it to him. Do you have He didn't know I was doing this. <laughs> Two and a half years, same one. I'm like, this is weird. So you know where my head goes? I bet you he's got drugs in there. No, no, no. I can almost guarantee you he's got drugs in there. Is our music director a drug dealer? Is he giving drugs to the team? Is that why they're so, like, ready to go and amped up? So I did the pastoral thing that any pastor should do. 
I waited till he wasn't with his backpack. <laughs> I zipped that bad boy open. I'm getting ready. Take pictures of the evidence, the drugs, you know. I'm going to be a snitch. I'm a and then there's, what? There was no AirPod Maxes. Yeah, it wasn't you who stole them. That's true. I know you wouldn't do that. There also was no drugs. So I was very relieved. I was like, this is amazing. And what I found out is that there was only one thing in there. There was his laptop, which is right there. And I'm so relieved at this, actually. So I go to him, and I'm like, Jonathan, i got to confess to you. I thought it was really weird. I thought you were a drug dealer, so I opened up your bag while you were gone. And I found that all that was there was your laptop. My bad. Please forgive me. And I asked him, why do you carry your laptop with you ever? He says, dude, because my entire life is on that laptop. All my music, all my arrangements, all my Ableton stems, all my everything is on that laptop. So I'm not letting that thing out of my sight. He loves and cherishes that thing so much. Heaven forbid, Jonathan, if anything ever happened to that laptop. Heaven forbid, okay. And it broke down, which means the river would be postponed, and it stopped working, what would he do? This is where we get to a point with my silly story. What would he do? Would he try to fix that laptop himself, or would he take it back to the one who made it? He would go so quick to the Apple store, he doesn't drive, so he'd call me and be like, Ryan, I gotta go to the Apple store. I'd be his Uber. And we would go straight to the Apple store, we would go back there. Why? Because that computer is important and he values it and it comes with something called a warranty. A warranty. And he would go there and we would get it fixed. Years ago, I bought a brand new iPhone. iPhones are expensive now. Let me just do a little survey. Who here has an iPhone? Blessed people, smart people. Y'all are just, you're living life right. Who here has an Android? Don't come back next week. Y'all are weird. What? You're so vocal about it, too. You guys mess up every group chat that I've ever been in. I just want blue messages. Why are they green? I don't need WhatsApp. I don't like it. Sorry, I'm venting. Back to my story. I bought an iPhone, and it was expensive, and it was brand new. And I was wearing a hoodie, because I'm a cool pastor, and cool pastors wear hoodies. And I was getting into my Mustang, my car that I used to have, and it's really low to the ground, and I got in, and I kicked that, that manual transmission into reverse, and I started rolling back, and I heard I had entered a new level of idiocy. I ran over my own phone with my own car. A special, it takes a special person to do something like that. And then it hit me, hold on. Wait a second. Praise the Lord. This is not a bad situation. Apple Care. I got Apple Care, baby. So I get that thing and I go straight to Yorkdale Mall and I go into that store and they go, What happened to your phone? It looks so terrible. And I just say two words Apple Care. Don't ask me what happened to it. I paid my dues. I got Apple Care. Just give me a new one. Because they gave me something called a warranty and I could exchange it, I could get it repaired, I could get it replaced. Every man and woman in this room, you came with a warranty. You came with a warranty from your maker. You don't need self-help because you have something called God help. But you gotta take it back to the manufacturer to claim the warranty. But guys, this is the story if we're getting back to the scripture. 
of the prodigal. He goes for self-help. He says, I got this. Just give me my blessing. I can do it. I can help myself. Let me go and seek my own kingdom. The problem with seeking your own kingdom is seeking first your own kingdom instead of your father's kingdom is that eventually it will crumble. Because every kingdom that is not his kingdom will crumble. It might be good for a season, usually a short season, but it will crumble. But if you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, then guess what? All will be added. And verse 31, he will be with you always. Everything that he has is already yours if you see it. But you can't see it if you won't seek it. You got to seek it so that you can see it. This was the problem with the older brother. He had the whole kingdom. But he wasn't seeking a kingdom where his father was in it. He was seeking his own kingdom. It had already been given to him, and it's already been given to you. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 says this, In him we have obtained, that's past tense, obtained, we have already obtained an inheritance, having been pre, that's, that's before, predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. You already have got it. You've already inherited it. But here's the trick, and this is where the devil comes to get you. It won't be added according to the counsel of your will. It will be added according to the counsel of his will. Because it's his kingdom. And guess what? You know what you want, but your father knows what you need. Yeah, someone should get excited about that. That's one of the biggest revelations you can ever come to. Because how do you know what you need for tomorrow if you don't know what tomorrow holds? But there is one who holds tomorrow in the palm of his hand, and he loves you, and he is for you, and he has good plans to prosper you, a hope and peace and a future not to harm you. So do you want it according to your will, or do you want it according to his will? Because that's the question. Do we seek our kingdom or do we seek his kingdom? And see, this is the real sticking point. We'll get to worship in just a few moments, but this, you got to get this. This is the real sticking point. This is where the devil gets me, and this is where the devil gets you so often, and it's not a new trick. He's been doing it for thousands of years. You ever heard of Adam and Eve? Adam and Eve in the garden had everything. They had the whole kingdom. It was, in fact, perfect, and they only had one little rule. You know it, one little rule. There was one tree called the tree of knowledge of good and evil. One tree that they were not supposed to eat from. And enters this character, the serpent, who we later find out is personifying the enemy, the devil. Enters the serpent and he goes, you know, your God is being pretty stingy. You know why he's not letting you eat from that tree, the tree of knowledge and good and evil? Because he doesn't want you to be like him. He doesn't want you to be like him. Don't you, Eve, want to decide for yourself what is good and what is evil? Y'all ever wondered why it's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Because that's what it all came down to. Eve had a decision. Who is going to decide good and who is going to decide evil? Is it going to be my creator or is it going to be me? And she got deceived by the serpent, and then Adam supported her. This is the original trick. Here's what the enemy does. Here's what the devil does. This is the whole thing. 
The devil makes you believe because the father is still in the house and because the house has rules, because the father is still on the throne, then you have nothing in that house. That you are slaving away in the fields. That you don't even get one little goat. Eve had the whole stinking garden. The older brother was vexed over one fattened calf when he could have been eating filet mignon and wagyu beef every day. He had all the goats. But the devil will make you think if you are not the one calling the shots, then you don't have a kingdom. I don't want to call the shots. I want my father to call the shots. Because I've tried driving my life and I ended up like the prodigal. Just because the father is in the house doesn't mean it's not your house. I went to school about 10 minutes from where I lived. This is a long time ago, kids. I wouldn't do this today. I, I walked to and back from school every day for many years. My parents trusted me to do that. In the snow, uphill, both ways. That's the way I always tell it. That's what your grandpa says, right? And, you know, I would often bring friends with me. I was like, hey, bro, you want to come back to my house? We'll play some street hockey. We'll play some Nintendo 64, GoldenEye, Super Smash Brothers. Where are my 89, born in 89 people at? The best video games of all time. Young people are like, what's GoldenEye? That's weird. Don't worry about it. When I would invite them, you know what I would say? I would say, hey, do you want to go back to my house? I didn't say, hey. Do you want to go to mom and dad's house? That would be weird. But guess what? It was mom and dad's house. I didn't pay for nothing in that house. I didn't pay a single bill when I was eight years old. But it was still my house. Just because the father was in it didn't mean it wasn't my house. But the devil wants you to believe that if the father still lives, you haven't received your inheritance yet. That's what this story about these two boys is all about. If the father still lives and I haven't seen my inheritance, here's the trick. Here's the whole thing. Your father is the inheritance. Your father and his presence, that's what the inheritance actually is. It's not the blessings. It's not the stuff. But if we're being real, it's not the blessings that we want. Pause. Hold up. You're like, preacher, you had me until that. I do want the blessings. Lord, here am I. Give them to me. In fact, you can park the Lambo right here. Like the Lambo will fit right here in the driveway. In the swimming pool in the back, the waterfall will go right here. We will go right here. To tell you the truth, those aren't the things that will make you happy. What will bring you peace and contentment and fulfillment and joy is not the blessings from the Father. It's the presence of the Father. It's the presence of a father who will come out running after you, who will come out chasing you down even though you were a prodigal and you wasted it away. It's a father who will come out and plead with you even when you're acting angry and bitter over petty little stuff. Like she got the car and I didn't. Like he got married and I didn't. Like she got the job and I didn't. There's a father that still comes after you. But the question is, do you see it? Do you see it? And you can't see it if you won't seek it. Worship team, y'all can come back up here. I'm about to close. But I'm not done yet. The question is this. Y'all are clapping. You're like, praise the Lord, he's done. Pat's coming back up.
That's fine. For him, I'll take that. Anyone else, that's weird. <laughs> the question is pretty simple. Is do we seek our kingdom or do we seek his kingdom? Because Matthew 6 promises you, if you seek first the kingdom of your father, of God, and his righteousness, then all will be added. But only, only if you seek his kingdom. Not if we seek our own kingdom. Guys, both of these sons were lost. Here's the saddest part of the story. This is the worst part of the story. Both were lost. You can play those holy keys, Jonathan, because this is sad stuff. <laughs> Both sons were lost, but only one got found. And he wasn't the promised son. He wasn't the staying son. He wasn't the one in the house. It was the prodigal that got found. Because the prodigal saw it's not about give me. It's about make me. It's not about, God, what I can get from you. It's about, Father, make me like you. Make me your servant. Forget that inheritance. I don't need it anymore. Forget the stuff. Forget the blessing. I lived wild. It was good for a week, and then I lost everything, and, I, I, and no one loved me, and no one cared for me except you. He went from give me to make me. As parents, where are my parents in the room? Put your hands up if you're a parent. Your job is not to give your children a life. It's to teach them how to make a life. It's to teach them how to make a life. That is what your father wants to do for you, your heavenly father. He wants to make a life for you. And he has already given it. This was the saddest thing about the older brother. He already had it. He just didn't see it because he didn't seek it. Stand up on your feet, please. Guys, you have an opportunity right now tonight. I know you got work tomorrow. I know you got school tomorrow. I know there's things to think about. But if we're being honest, if I'm being honest, there's areas of my life where I have stopped seeking first his kingdom and I've started seeking my kingdom. You have an opportunity right now to realign your heart. I have an opportunity to go and say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and I have sinned against you. Make me your servant. That's what you can do right now, right here tonight. And when you do that, he replies, he goes, no, 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 no. You're not a servant. Here's the best robe. Here's the best ring. Here's sandals on your feet. I love you. Your title as daughter or son is not based on your performance. It's based on your belief. So we get an opportunity right now to seek first the kingdom of heaven. And if we will do that, then I will promise you this, all will be added. Let's seek him tonight.